Amen. Well, I want you to go ahead and open your Bible uh, this morning to John chapter 2. We're going to continue uh, following the footsteps of Jesus. In John chapter 2, we're going to uh, pick, off, uh, pick up back up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. But let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. We just pray, Lord, that you would have your way and continue to have your way during the midst of this service. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. Allow the seed of your word to be planted into good soil, that you till up that soil, Lord, and allow it to uh, uh, be a good soil to where your word can penetrate. And Lord, that we would be faithful doers of your word and not merely hearers. Give me now the words and the wisdom that you'd have me to preach. And Lord, I pray that every single word that I preach would be led and directed entirely of you and you alone. Draw folks into yourself as only you can do, and we ask all these things in the precious and the holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So we're going to pick up where we left off in John chapter 2. Um, a couple of weeks ago, what we looked at in John chapter 2, we looked at the wedding there in Cana, and we looked at the very first miracle that Jesus performed uh, there with the turning the water into wine in uh, that wedding in Cana. And so as we continue to progress back through this and uh, continue to look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, Jesus ended up going uh, to Jerusalem, as we see in our text this morning, John chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Uh, and Jesus was uh, preparing uh, for the Passover. And so as Jesus was pre preparing for the Passover, of course, Jesus had been there to Jerusalem and participated in the Passover many times. In fact, the last time we saw uh, Jesus there in Jerusalem, we saw him there as a 12-year-old boy, uh, and there it was at that time of the Feast of the Passover. And so as we recognize this, this was something that Jesus was accustomed to doing, but now Jesus had started his teaching ministry. Jesus had started his preaching ministry. Uh, Jesus was now actively uh, preaching and teaching the Word of God. Miracles were being performed. Possibly people were hearing about the things that Jesus was doing, but Jesus had just started in this ministry. This was uh, the, actually the second event that we see Jesus participating in since he started uh, his ministry. So not many people knew about Jesus as of yet, but they were fixing to see him. Amen. Uh, he was fixing to burst onto the scene in a whole new way, and they were going to see him, and they were going to wonder about him. The Pharisees were even going to ask him, what gives you the authority to do the things that you're doing? And so as we look at this text of Scripture in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, we see here in the Word of God, uh, the Bible says that the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their table and he made a scourge of cords and he and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables and to those who were selling the doves he said take these things away stop making my father's house a place of business disciples remembered that it was uh, uh, that it was written zeal for your house will consume me 
So as we take a look at this text of Scripture, we need to recognize something, that it wasn't Passover yet. The Bible says uh, Passover was near, right? So Passover hadn't happened yet. So as they were, uh, people were starting to come into the city of Jerusalem. There it was, the Jews from all over the world would, would come to Jerusalem. Maybe they didn't make it to all of the feasts, but they weren't going to miss the Passover, right? They were going to make sure that they came to the Passover and they were there in Jerusalem. So Jews from all over the world were beginning to flock into the city of Jerusalem to participate in the Passover, but yet it wasn't time quite for the Passover just yet. And so in that... There they were. Of course, they would get ready for the Passover meal, and the Passover meal is very clear that it was going to be a lamb, right? You had to have a lamb for that Passover meal. And so the Word of God is extraordinarily clear about this subject, but yet for other offerings. There was all kinds of other offerings that was going on in the temple at this time as well. And so actually all throughout the year, there was a lot of different offerings. But people were getting ready for the masses to come in, and as the masses came Came in a lot of the Jewish people that weren't able to go to the temple at other times of the year were coming at the Passover so maybe they would get there a little bit early so that they would go and participate in other things like having sin offerings or, or, or uh, giving sin offerings and things like that and so as the word of God tells us right here that as Jesus went into the temple uh, he, he said that the, the apostle John wrote down that there's several things here that they were selling in the temple. Of course, they were selling this just outside the temple before you go into the court. And so just outside the gate of the temple, they were selling these things. He said he, fell in the, uh, he found in the temple those who were selling oxen, sheep, and doves. So we have here oxen, sheep, and doves. And so when we look in the Word of God, it, it's interesting that they're selling these oxen, sheep, and doves they were selling these things, and as they were selling these things, they were selling them for the specific purpose of people purchasing them. They've traveled a long way, right? They've traveled this long journey. Certainly not going to take oxen with them on this long journey. They're not going to take sheep with them in this long journey. They're not going to take these doves with them on this long journey. So there it is available for them to purchase at the temple so that they can buy these things and be able to take them into the temple and have their sin offering right and so as they had their sin offering it's interesting that that as John mentions all of these oxen sheep and doves it's interesting that when we look in the book of Matthew Matthew chapter 21 and verse 12 all Matthew mentions is the doves and when we look in the book of Mark Mark chapter 11 and verse 15 all Mark mentions is the doves and actually, Jesus specified the doves right here uh, in this very text of Scripture in John chapter 2 and verse 16. It says, those who were selling the doves, he said, the, the, uh, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. So Jesus said that to those specifically who were selling the doves. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, well, why did Jesus point out the, uh, the, those who were selling the doves? And why did Matthew and Mark exclude the, auction, the oxen and the sheep? Why didn't they mention the oxen and the sheep? Why did they only mention the doves? It's an interesting thing as we look at this. Now, 
The usual offering, as we see in Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 6, the usual offering for a sin offering was a, was a lamb or a goat, right? And, and so we see that the Word of God gives provision to use a lamb or goat as the usual sin offering, again, found there in Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 6. But the Bible also there in Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 7, very next verse, gives an option for those who are poor. And that option was doves. And those, and so those who are poor could use doves or pigeons if they couldn't afford a goat or a lamb. And so the Bible tells us there in Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 7, But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord his guilt offering for that which he has, uh, which he has sinned, two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. So the Word of God gives provision, the law of God gave provision for those who were poor. If you couldn't afford a lamb, if you couldn't afford a goat, if that was out of your price range, if that was out of your ability to do, you did not have the means to do that, then instead, if you were poor, which is interesting, that's what Joseph and Mary offered, right? And so if you were poor, then you were able to then bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. So I believe the reason why, even though the oxen and the sheep were also mentioned in John, but weren't mentioned in Matthew and Mark, and that Jesus specifically pointed out the doves and said, that, that, you know, take these things out of here, you're making my, uh, the, my father's house a, a place of business, is because there they were unjustly and unrighteously targeting the poor, right? They were targeting the poor. They were trying to make an, a, a profit off of the poor. They were trying to make a gain off of the poor, and that's exactly what this was all about. Right? It, it was a business. It was a financial uh, opportunistic thing that they had that they were trying to make profit. And so if you make profit off of the rich in Jesus' name, that's not good either in God's name and in the, in the name of righteousness, right? In the name of, of keeping the law. Even if you're doing it, uh, making profit off the rich, that's not good. But how much worse is it then if you're trying to make profit off of those who are poor you're trampling on the poor and as we look at this and begin to understand obviously within the word of God and obviously within the heart of Jesus this was a very detestable thing now there it was it wasn't just those who were selling the animals you had these these booths apparently or these tables uh, set up as the word of God tells us and there they were they were selling these animals they were selling the oxen they were selling the sheep and they were selling uh, the doves there they were they were set up there was also beside them money changers so why do you need to have money changers? Anytime we go to a foreign country and we may, maybe we go there uh, on uh, uh, business or, or maybe we go there, uh, the only time I've really been to foreign countries is on mission trips. And so as you go in there, you take your American money, right? You take the American dollar and wherever you are, you exchange that. If you go down into Mexico, you get pesos, right? If you go into uh, uh, another country, you get whatever their uh, their, their uh money is and so uh, if we'd go uh, to another country, we would do, then go to an exchange booth, right? And then we would exchange our American money for their native 
currency that they have. And so that's exactly what was taking place here. And so when you look at it, there's nothing really wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with there being an exchange of money because what everybody had, this is the Roman Empire in which they were living in. Everybody lived within the Roman Empire. And so one of the reasons that they had uh, the, the money changers there is because what was on that those Roman coins, every single one of the Roman coins, what was on those Roman coins, what was on there was the image of Caesar. And it wasn't just like, you know, we have George Washington or we have, you know, uh, Abraham Lincoln on our pennies or you know, whatever it is, or, you know, if, uh, every now and then you might get to see a Benjamin, right? Maybe not too often, but every now and then you might, might get to see one of those. But we have, you know, our former presidents on our uh, currency. You say, so what's wrong with that? Well, the fact is they were considered to be deities. Right? And it was a part of their paganism. It was a part of their emperor worship that they would put the image of Caesar and whoever was that Caesar at that particular time, right? His image would be upon that currency and it was a part of their worship. Well, we're not going to allow this into the temple of God, right? We're not going to allow this to come. And that's an understandable thing that they wouldn't want that part of pagan worship to enter into their temple and be a part of their worship. And so they needed currency to go in there into the temple because according to the law uh, in uh in Ezekiel chapter 30 and verse 13, that, that a poll tax needed to be paid. A half a shekel of a poll tax needed to be paid. And so that poll tax, what it would do, it would then go towards, you know, uh, helping the financial needs of the temple throughout the year. And so is everybody coming? And it also would be a poll. It'd be like a census amongst the Jewish people who all came there. So they was taking a census and also paying their temple taxes at the same time. That would help, uh, you know, tend to whatever the need. So it was, it was a set amount according to Exodus chapter 30 and verse 13. And that set amount was a half of shekel. And so we also see that the Bible gives us, uh, gave them, gave the Jews um, leniency and not bringing their own animals with them. But in Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 25, it, it, it gave the law to where the animals could be sold there. So if people were traveling from long distance, usually people brought their own lambs with them for Passover because that was very precious to them and it had a, a much greater uh, meaning to them. Uh, but when it came to these sin offerings, they could, the law allowed, for them to be able to go to the temple to purchase them. However, what happened was they would know that these folks came from a long way away. And so they would start selling these animals for a much higher price than what you would buy one for out on the street. Right? You go to the temple and you're going to pay a whole lot more out there than, than what you would out there on the street. Right? It's like if you go to Disneyland today, right? Go to Disneyland, go to any amusement park. You can go to the store across the street from Disney World and you could buy a Coke for a dollar or whatever they go for, a bottle of water 
for for a dollar fifty, two dollars, however much they sell for. But you go into the amusement park. Guess what? They've got you. You're stuck. You're not going anywhere. You might pay eight or nine dollars for 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 a, a, a thing uh, for a drink, right? And so they knew that there it was that the uh, the Jews were at the temple and they were kind of at their mercy, and so they were uh, increasing greatly the price of these animals, and at the same time the exchange rate for the temple currency. The temple had their own special currency that was really only used, wasn't good anywhere else, but was really only used because the rest of the Roman world had to use that, that uh, emperor coin, right, with the image of Caesar on there, but inside of the temple they would exchange that, but they were also greatly inflating the exchange rate and making a profit off of that. And so here it is that both the selling of the animals and especially the selling of the doves because that is pointed out specifically there within the Word of God and the exchanging of money. Here we find clearly within the Word of God this was absolutely detestable in the sight of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what did, what did He do? The Bible says that He made a, uh, he made a scourge uh, of a cord. He put that together. Together. He made a scourge of a cord and he went out there and he drove them out, right? He flipped over their tables. He drove them out. He ran them out of there. What did Jesus do? Jesus threw a righteous indignant fit. Amen? Now you know what the Word of God says. Well, what Jesus is, is, is perfect. Jesus is sinless. Jesus never sinned. He didn't sin here either. In fact, the Bible tells us to be angry and sin not. You know, when we look out in the world today and we see injustices that are taking place, especially, you know, when we, 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 we see uh, poor folks and folks that can't help themselves, their, 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 their injustice is happening their way, uh, then we need to be righteously indignant about those things. Anytime somebody is wronged and unrighteousness is prevailing, we need to be righteously indig indignant about that. We as Christians need to stand up, right? We need to speak out. For those who don't have a voice of their own, we need to stand up for those who aren't able to stand on, and we need to be just like Jesus was right here, and we need to fill that void, we need to fill that gap. And so, here it was I'm not telling us to go somewhere and flip tables over and form a scourge and start whipping folks, right? And so, that's what, that's what Jesus did, and Jesus did not sin, but as the word of God says, be angry and sin not. Here it was as Jesus saw what was going on, he was, he, he was disgusted by it, right? And, and he had probably seen this before. He would probably saw it when he was a 12-year-old boy. But at that time, he did not say anything about it. At that time, he did not do anything about it. But now he has started his ministry. And as he started his ministry, we'd only have record of one other miracle that had taken place before this. And it was on a very small scale at a wedding. And possibly only the servants and his immediate disciples saw this. Of course, his mother knew about it as well. We don't know that everybody else at the wedding knew about this or knew that what, what had happened. But even if they did, it was only the folks at the wedding in Cana that knew about this, right? So nobody had really seen what Jesus was doing. Nobody really heard of Jesus yet, but now Jesus has made a big scene, right? 
And as Jesus had made a big scene, boy, he flipped over the tables of the money changer. The coins went all over the, all over the ground. He's driving out the animals. Could you imagine the scene there in the courtyard? I mean, you've got animals just running all over the place, right? And you probably have those who are selling the animals trying to run around and gather them back up and catch them because that's their, that's their animals. That's their profit, right? That's their game. Maybe you flipped open the cage to the doves. You've got doves flying around all over the place, feathers flying around all over the place. I mean, it is a huge, chaotic mess. It is a great big scene that Jesus is doing right here. In fact, we're going to look at this next year. I'm, I'm sorry, next week. And, and we're going to look at the, uh, the Pharisees coming to Jesus and asking him, who gives you the authority to do this? By what authority are you doing this? Again, we'll look at that next week, but it's a big scene. Of course, everybody else is at, who in the world is that? <laughs> right? Who is that? We want to know more about him. We want to know more about what he's saying, what he's teaching, what he's doing. So as we begin to understand, here it is that these money changers and these salesmen are coming in here. It's become a big mockery. It's become a big scam. And as we begin to think about this, here it is that Jesus told them in verse 16, he says, and those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Take these things out. Get this stuff out of here. You're making a mockery out of my father's house. You're making my father's house into a place of of business you know when we begin to think about that we begin to think about some other things you know has this happened in, uh, in other ways has this happened in other forms where you know the people of god the church of god the church of the lord jesus christ has has made a mockery out of the house of God and made it a place for profit, made it a place for financial gain, made it a place to where, you know, they, they're going to personally benefit and it's not about God and it's not about the enhancement of the kingdom of God whatsoever. And the answer to that question is you better believe it. In fact, in the, in the 10th century, we find that history records that the, that the Catholic Church, they were struggling. They were struggling for money and they were wondering where in the world we're going to get this money from. In fact, the whole world at that time was struggling, wanting to know where we're going to get this money from, right? And I'm not here trying to pick on Catholics, but it's just a historical fact, right? And this is what took place. And so they're like, well, how are we going to raise money? How are we going to get money? And so somebody along the line said, okay, I know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to invent this doctrine that's found nowhere within the Bible. We're going to come up with this doctrine called purgatory. And this doctrine called purgatory means where you don't, you don't necessarily go to heaven and you don't necessarily go to hell, but you're kind of lingering around in the middle somewhere. And so what you're going to have to do then is you're going to have to pay indulgences. And if you pay these indulgences, what you're doing is you're paying the church, you're paying the priest, and if you're really influential and if you're really wealthy, then you could pay the bishop, then you could pay the cardinal. So therefore, you know, they're even closer to heaven. And so, they, you know, you, you, you pay them a little bit more. Maybe you pay them a whole lot more. And you pay these indulgences so that they would pray for your loved one who's stuck in purgatory. And if they pray long enough and if they pray hard enough, well, eventually, and you give enough... <laughs> 
right? Well, eventually, they're going to get out of purgatory and they're going to wind up in heaven. Now, the Catholic Church realized the error of their way in about 500 years. They said, we're not going to do this anymore. It's not right. right? So they stopped doing it. You see, this is the exact same thing. But today we're living in a world where we hear folks say, hey, if you buy my book, you're going to get a financial blessing. Amen? If you buy this prayer cloth, you're going to get a financial blessing. If you just buy this prayer cloth, boy, all kinds of miracles and all kinds of stuff. Just, you just have to buy it. You have to make sure you buy it from me because it's a special prayer cloth, right? And, then, and, and so the significance of buying it from me and not somebody else isn't really that it's a special prayer cloth, but that money's going in my pocket. Amen? I want you to sow your seed with my ministry, and if you sow your seed with my ministry, guess what? You're going to get a financial blessing out of that. You get, and the Bible says it, doesn't it? Does. You can't deny it. The Bible says it. If you, if you give, you're going to get back. Even a hundredfold. Jesus said that, right? Of course, they're manipulating and twisting the Word of God. And why are they doing it? For their own financial gain. That's how we wind up with million-dollar ministries and billion-dollar ministries and you know, million, millionaire pastors and millionaire ministries and things like this. And it's ungodly. It's wicked. They have made the house of God out of a place of business. Is there anything wrong with buying books? Of course not. But you need to buy those books because you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord and you want to become more knowledgeable in the things of God. Is there anything wrong with investing in ministries? Absolutely not because you want to be a blessing to that ministry, not because you want more money in your wallet. Amen? And so when you begin to think people have found ways to manipulate individuals, and guess who's the majority of the people? Statistics have proven this beyond a shadow of a doubt. Guess who's the majority of the people that they're manipulating? They're not manipulating the rich folks for the most part. They're manipulating the poor folks who want to get out of that poor situation that they're in. And so they've heard this false teaching and think that's an easy way out. And all it is is a lie. It's blasphemous, in fact. So when we look at that and begin to understand, absolutely it's taking place today. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's taking place. The exact same principle. Maybe not the exact same thing, but the exact same principle. So when we begin to look at this, we have to ask ourselves, well, we're, we're the church, and the church then even have business meetings? You know, Jesus, Jesus said right here, you're, you're, you're uh, making uh, my father's house into a place of business. Well, sure, we should have business meetings as long as those business meetings and the business in which we conduct are kingdom-minded. Amen? And when they're kingdom-minded and they're kingdom-focused, then absolutely we need to be doing those things. It's only wise to do those things. By doing those things, it makes us good stewards of the things in which we're blessed with, right? To make sure we're using them properly and we're using them for the enhancement of the kingdom of God and not for our own personal gain. By the way, let me just plug this in right here. What's the benefit of being a member of a church? The benefit of being a member of a church is that you get to have say-so and you get to help hold the church accountable when it comes to those things. 
That's not the only benefit of a church. There's many, many benefits of being a member of a church. And anybody can come to church. Anybody can be involved in church. We're going to love you just as much as you, we love everybody else. But unless you're a member, you don't have say-so. Amen? When you become a member, you have say-so. And if you see something that's not right, you can call it out and say, that's not right. We shouldn't be doing those things. We shouldn't be spending our money on those things. That's not right. And unfortunately, sometimes there's times when those things need to be brought up. Those things need to be mentioned. Well, the Bible tells us as Christians we're to give our tithes. The Bible tells us that we're to give our offerings. I get amused by folks. There's more and more folks that are saying, oh, well, tithing is not New Testament. Well, okay, let's get New Testament. Go sell everything you own and give it all. Right? Well, I'll go with tithing. All right, let's stick with that. <laughs> That's New Testament, isn't it? Sell everything you have and give it all. If you don't, you might end up getting toted out of here dead, right? Just ask Ananias and Sapphira. So when we begin to look at that, the Bible tells us to tithe. The Bible tells us to give offerings, just like uh, they were told to give that half shekel as a pull tax. So the Bible tells us to do those things. Why? Because we, we support the, the, the financial needs of the church. Not only do we support the financial needs of the church, hopefully the church is then investing in the kingdom of God, giving to missions. So we, where do we give our tithe? We give our tithe to the church. Bring your tithe to the storehouse. What's the storehouse? It's the church, right? Tithe doesn't belong anywhere else but the church. When it comes to offerings, you want to support. You know, if we have a missionary come in, you want to give money to, to Brother Doug, Sister Diane. It, money doesn't go to them, by the way. It goes to the missions there, to the mission uh, field. And so you want to give money to that Philippine uh, 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 missions. That's your offering. It's above and beyond the tithe. If you want to support a ministry that, you know, church, it's outside of, uh, of this church. It needs to be connected with a church and some kind of church function, but it's outside of this church that's fine give your offering to them right that's above and beyond the tithe and the bible says to give your offerings and your tithes but it needs to be done properly not for a way of trying to seek financial gain or god's blessings if you give you're going to be blessed the bible tells us that if you don't give bible says you're going to be cursed <laughs> right bible's clear about those things why should we give because we love god we want to see the kingdom of God enhanced. We'll see the kingdom of God grow. Amen. But here it was that the word of God says in verse 17, it says that uh, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your, for your house will consume me. Who was that written about? It was written about the Messiah. So when Jesus went into the Father's house, when Jesus went into the temple and he saw the abuses that were going on, he could not be silent. This is wrong. And I have to put an end to it right now. And he did. Friend, we need to be zealous for the house of God. It's interesting that everybody else called it the temple, but Jesus called it the Father's house. Amen? So whose house was he zealous for? He was zealous for the Father's house. 
Now again, people say, well, we're in New Testament times. We're not in Old Testament. We don't have a temple anymore. Well, we do have a temple. That's our bodies. Again, we'll talk more about that next week as well. So our bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we don't, we don't have a temple that we meet in, but the place of meeting is a very holy place. The t- place that we're meeting, not the building, not the location, not the property, but the assembling of one another. That is the biblical church, right? It's not the building. It's not the property. It's not the location. It is the ecclesia. It is the assembling. It is the gathering together of the believers. If this building was to burn down to the ground and we no longer had this building, God forbid that happened. But if it did, we wouldn't cease being a church, right? We'd go out in the field and start meeting and put up a tent or something like that or, or, or do something along that line. It is the gathering together of the believers that makes that special. And friend, even in that, we need to have zeal towards that. We need to make sure what is happening within the church, within the body of Christ, that it's right, that it lines up with the Word of God, and most importantly, that it honors God. Amen? We're not here for a business. Again, is there anything wrong with, 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 with uh, buying books or even buying T-shirts? When they have the gates of hell's flames were here, they were selling T-shirts, but what did the prophets go to? It went back into their ministry. We're trying to get rich off of that. Nothing wrong with that. Amen? So as we look at this, we also see something interesting. As we look at this in New Testament times, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 had a situation. He actually had several situations that he dealt with. We're just going to look at one of those. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verse, verses 9 and 10, this is what Paul said. He says, likewise... I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modesty, and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim uh, to godliness. So here's this issue within the church. By the way, uh, he says in verse 9, he says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing modesty, right? And that's linked, that word likewise links that verse back to the previous verses, which is talking about the conduct within the church. For instance, verse 8, he says, I want the men in every place to pray, right? And so in verse 8, men Pray, in verse 9, women adorn themselves properly. It doesn't mean that women shouldn't pray, but here was a specific issue that was going on in the church of Ephesus. Women that were being, by the way, Ephesus was a very wealthy place, right? Very wealthy uh, city there. And so these women were apparently coming into the church decked out to the nines, right? And so they they would uh, say, what's the deal with braided hair? Is there something wrong with braiding our hair? Well, no, what they would do is they would braid their hair with gold and and jewelry and precious stones in there and so they would you know wear this uh, uh, very revealing uh, clothing being uh, influenced by Greek culture being influenced by uh, by pagan culture being influenced by the world and they would come in there to flaunt their beauty and to flaunt their wealth that's what that was all about and Paul says this has no place within the house of God This has no place within the assembly 
of the believers. In fact, what they need to be clothed in is their good works. Amen? That's what they need to be clothed in, is their good works. Paul wasn't coming up with a specific dress code here. He was presenting a specific problem here. Coming in, trying to flaunt their wealth and trying to flaunt their beauty. And what does that do? It distracts. It's not what we're here for. It's not why we're assembled. We're not here assembled to be focused upon you. We're not here to be assembled to focus on me. We're not here to be assembled to focus on anybody but God. If I'm here trying to make a, pro a financial gain, a financial profit, shame on me. Amen? Had a good friend of mine call me up one day, said, Brother Russ, you're not going to believe this. They were looking for a pastor. And he said, uh, we just had a pastor. We contacted a pastor. We had his resume. And he told me, he said, you're never going to believe what he told me. But he told me that y'all can't afford me. I said, well, you need to call him back and say, you know, we thought about this. We prayed about this. You're right. We can't afford to have somebody like you come in. Amen? They're worried about the dollar. They're not worried about God. Amen? You can't serve God and mammon. Amen? Or if you're trying to steal God's thunder, you're trying to steal God's glory, you're trying to steal the attention and put it on yourself. Blasphemy, wicked, has no place in the assembly of the believers. Sometimes we do things that are public. My preaching is public. And he's singing was public. Keith and Kim and Brother Derwin are up here. It's obviously public. When Brother Aaron teaches Sunday school, it's obviously public. But the purpose is not say, hey, y'all, look at me. Now let's look to Jesus. Amen? Let's look at Jesus. I'm not, I'm not anything to look at. Glad I didn't get any amens on that, but I'm not, I'm not anything to look at. Amen? But He is. We need to have zeal for the Father's house. Zeal to be here. Zeal to participate. Zeal to be plugged in. Zeal to be be involved, zeal to be active. But enough zeal to say if something's not right, we're going to call it out. We're going to call it for what it is because it's not bringing glory to God. Amen? So as we look at this and we begin to examine, where is your heart this morning? Is your heart just to be here, just to attend just something that you do on Sunday mornings? It's 
far as I can see, I don't think there's anybody here that's trying to draw attention to themselves, but maybe you are. Maybe you just hear you say, well, I better go to church someday, Sunday because what are you going to say about me if I don't? Right? You're not here for the right reason. What I say to you this morning is get your heart right with God. See, I don't want to make it about you. It doesn't have anything to do with me. I want to make it all about you. I want to have zeal for your house. And having zeal for your house means I have zeal for you. Amen? I have zeal for you. Passion and honor and glory and praise and everything that I give directed to you and you alone. Right now as we have this time of invitation, if you'll just stand you stand, if God's dealing with your heart about something specific, go before the Lord and pray. Say, God, I'm not here for the right reasons or whatever that specific thing that God is dealing with you about is. And get it right.